Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on the Hot Plate, Jason Reese from Earl's Court Barbecue joins us to talk about people who prefer to eat without pants. We then discuss cultural appropriation in the kitchen, and Joshna raises some tasty points before we dive into an unusual spirit on Curious Kitchen. So we have my very good friend Jason Reese in the studio with us today. Hi, Jason. Hi, Morello. Welcome. And uh, Jason was a competitive barbecue or do you still do competitions? I try to do barbecue competitions, but I'm too busy running my restaurant now. Yeah, man. So I'm a semi-retired competitive barbecuer. And restaurateur. And restaurateur, yes. And your fine establishment is Earl's Court Barbecue. It's on St. Clair here in Toronto. Have you been there, Joshua? I have. I have. Yummy. With, yeah, lots of excitement. And the, like, the, the baking sheet of meat that comes over is quite exciting. It is. So spring has sprung, and uh, I am seeing food delivery couriers everywhere on their bicycles. And uh, it occurred to me, I know, Jason, you use these delivery services. It might be a very interesting topic to uh, discuss. I think a lot of restaurateurs uh, have a love-hate relationship with uh, the delivery services. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like to say a few nice things about delivery services before I give you my real opinion. Sweet. (laughs) Sweet. Um, We're all about balance here on the hot plate. Exactly. Thank you. So, <laughs> Thank you. so what what I think is really great about uh, the delivery services is I see a lot of people that are delivery couriers that are clearly um, difficult to employ. Um, they may they, they may be deaf. Mm-hmm. I have a few deaf drivers. Okay. Um, they may be new to the country and not have a command of the English language. Okay. Um, they may be new mothers. They may new, be new fathers. They may be very underemployed. Um, and uh, take it as you will. Maybe Uber is taking advantage of the underprivileged, but um, you can say the same thing about Walmart and Walmart greeters. Right. right. It's giving these people yeah. a job and a purpose, yeah. and I think that's really fantastic. Um, I think I, 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 that's my favorite thing about using the delivery couriers, and uh, that's pretty much the only reason that I continue to use them because it does give a, a, a source of employment and daily joy for a lot mm. of people that otherwise would not be employed. Mm-hmm. But is it not also more convenient than having your own in-house delivery people? You can't have your own in-house delivery company anymore um, or, or do it do it in-house anymore, except maybe if you're a pizza place and right. even the pizza places now because the the ubiquitousness, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. Because of the ubiquitousness of all of the various delivery couriers, there's no point for them being on, uh, uh, having their own drivers anymore because as soon as they turn on um, like a, a delivery service, then their regular deliveries stop. And I've talked to uh, a, a guy that owns a, a Thai restaurant, and uh, and he thought that maybe he was just not selling good food anymore because um, his delivery driver had, got, had to lay him off, and he started DoorDash, and mm-hmm. he is busy with DoorDash now. Okay, so these delivery services have disrupted the they've, previous way mm-hmm. They've totally disrupted okay. it. And, and I think as a consumer, people love that because they fire up the app and there's 500 kinds of food to buy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? It's not like you, if you feel yes. like pizza, you have to Google it and then you have to find the place and you have to find the phone number. Yeah. Are they open? How do they deliver to me? All this other nonsense. So right? the convenience of being able to fire up an app and be mm-hmm. like, I feel like poutine today. You can type poutine in there and you'll find... The only place that makes poutine in your neighborhood, even if it's the local barbecue restaurant, which is very strange how much poutine we sell on delivery as a barbecue restaurant. Which, okay, 
Let's just say this before you continue and tell me the other side of your opinion. I have used Uber Eats a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have really gleaned from this experience is that not all food delivers. Um, For sure. Right? That is very true. French fries are perhaps at the top of that list. Because they get soggy? Soggy. Oh, steamy, soggy fries. Anything that has to be packaged up with a tag, you know, attached to it with a number and an address and an order, whatever it is. No thanks. No good. There is right? a way to make French fries last in a box for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 That's minutes. a narrow window, though. Like the, con- thinking about how long the transaction takes to get between my order and the arrival at my door. So we changed the size of our French fry specifically mm. because of the of amount the of delivery. Of the fry. Yeah, the fry has to, you cannot, Whoa. a shoestring fry is impossible. It's to, not going to work. It won't work. It's it, not going to work. It turns into potato soup. Yep. Everything we have right. has had a 30-minute test on it, and uh, there are wow. items on the menu that... I wish I didn't have to sell on delivery. Um, yeah. Like, if you order a pitmaster platter in our restaurant, which has five meats on it, it has brisket, pulled pork, ribs, wings, and whatever the feature meat of the I day is. I have enjoyed this. Yes. And if you've eaten in my restaurant, um, unless there's a server there that needs to be beaten with a stick, because mm-hmm. um, that's what we do there. <laughs> that's how people learn, The, the beatings will continue until learn. morale improves. Sure. Um, when we deliver that big plate of three or four pounds of meat, we say, please eat the brisket first. It dries out the fastest mm-hmm. and it's the most savory. Mm-hmm. In a box for 30 minutes, it loses, I would say, 50% of its integrity. I believe that. So even our briskets are cooked a little longer um, to, and, and we, we, do, we, we do our best. But uh, but if you want our brisket, and we have customers that have come in because they uh, got Uber Eats once and decided, oh, you do exist, and they come in, they say, I can't believe how good the brisket is when you get it in person. Right. They're blown away, absolutely right. blown away. So can you choose? Some things can go on delivery and some not, or if we you're have, on the system, they we, have to be able to order everything. The the problem for me is branding more than anything. Mm-hmm. So we're a barbecue restaurant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have brisket on the menu, yeah. it, it takes away my street cred. If I don't have brisket and pulled pork and ribs, I might as well be a vegan restaurant, in in my opinion. So it's, it's all about branding. I, I have to have those items. And there are people that want to eat those items and don't care to put on pants and want to eat them. Right? You'd be, for, from a financial perspective, you'd be a fool to tur- to close your door. To this deli- yes, to this delivery I, business? I actually turn delivery off on a regular basis. You do? Yes. Oh, yes. So, okay. I so love knowing this. The, so so the, one, of the benef- one of the things about having delivery services, if your dining room is full, you just turn it off. Because the people that have put on pants to come and eat your barbecue, right. they, get, they get preferential treatment. If you come to my restaurant, I'm going to make sure you have an awesome experience. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure a server, when they deliver your brisket, says, please eat it first. And if they yeah. see you talking on the phone after they've delivered your brisket, <laughs> they will come up and say, please eat the brisket. It's TikTok getting friend. ruined. TikTok. It's getting TikTok. ruined. It's getting yeah. ruined. And that's the experience you get when you come to Earl's Court Barbecue is, is the passion for food mm-hmm. is shared about with, with all of the staff. We're all very passionate about what we do. And we want to share that passion with our guests. That goes out the window when it goes into a box. Yes. It's it's gone. And it's especially gone uh, with a delivery courier, uh, such as Uber, where they're actually not required to have a thermal bag. Oh. Are you kidding? They're not required. Isn't that so how unsafe, does public health though? Feel about yeah, that? with meat. So, public, uh, does public health have a say? 
public health doesn't seem to care or, or are getting involved That's whatsoever. Amazing. As somebody who has endured many a public health inspection, mm-hmm. I, there's a fire inside of me at the notion that they are turning a blind eye or just not paying attention because that feels Is crazy. there anything you can do? Uh, I've... Here's, I'll tell you what I have eventually done, but I'll tell you why. So according to Ubers, the president of Uber Canada, um, the uh, delivery drivers are not employees of Uber. And as such, they cannot be dictated to have the tools of the trade. So they can't be forced to buy a bag. And Whoa. Uber will not provide the bags because bags are expensive. A good thermal bag is between 40 and $100. Yeah. Most huh. of my Uber drivers drive for other companies. So I'll... I, we always have to ask because we have to match the, the 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 order, but they almost always have a delivery bag from another company with them. <laughs> hmm. Almost always. This is what's happening on the street about this. Right? And all of my bad reviews on Uber, every single one, and I'm I watch and I look at them, and all of my bad reviews in general are because of our our delivery related issues, huh. and. So the unfortunate thing for the customer is they have no idea the relationship between the delivery driver and the app and the restaurant. So when their food arrives cold and upside down in a wet paper bag, they think it's the restaurant's fault. Yeah. And Weird. Uh, yeah. And I've I tried I've tried for well over a year to make it a requirement for Uber. And actually, when an Uber driver accepts an order, they see on the note, uh, "Bring thermal bag inside." Mm. So my only recourse, and what I've done recently, and this has been helpful to me, um, is that when the driver comes in and doesn't have a bag, we have a sticker we put on the bag and says, sorry, your driver didn't have a thermal bag. Oh, okay. And that's okay. The, uh, pretty much the only thing we can do, um, and it and it, it names the company, and what it... And it's a it's a pretty brash sticker, and we know that the the drivers are actually pulling the stickers off, so we actually have now started... Opening the bags and putting the stickers on all the food as well yeah, on all the all the boxes. Yeah. So that's pretty much their only recourse. And then there's the other. So that's that's the the the, 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 the there's the delivery courier side of it, and and the fact that they're not employees, so as such, they're not entitled to uh, a livable wage, or um, no, I actually yeah. have a, a driver who had Ugh. who just returned to Uber who had injured themselves, had fallen down a set of stairs, and uh, Uber wouldn't help them. They, and they don't. tried to sue the restaurant, and uh, and and uh, he didn't win because he had no money to to do that. Yeah, and he's back doing it again because he needs to, and he's a student and oh, new to Canada. You can Canada sort of hear the shackle of all of that, right? So I read about that, but Fudora does provide uh, compensation. They do. They're also the hurt. most expensive and the slowest. Hmm. So that's the unfortunate thing. And when people call us to ask us if we have a delivery, uh, our own delivery driver, I say I wish I could have one. Uh, right now we have uh, two or three partners, and if you want your food to arrive cold and upside down and very quickly, use Uber Eats. <laughs> oh, this is it, right? Or if you want There's it, such an expectations piece about all of this. But if you want it cared for, uh, use uh, one of the other delivery services mm. where they actually train the drivers, and the drivers, uh, you know, are there. Th- th- there's like a process where the, the driver would be fired. There's many ways that an order can be canceled. Halfway yes. Yes. through. That has happened to me. That would drive me yes. bonkers. But where's the convenience in that? So here's, yeah. here's uh, again, on the bag issue. So we can refuse to give a driver a bag or a food, a food, a, refuse to give a driver a bag. No, refuse to bag a driver, driver, <laughs> bag. <laughs> <laughs> refuse to give a driver food because they don't have a thermal bag. Or mm-hmm. what they will say sometimes is, oh, you know, I'm just going to cancel. So another driver comes with a bag. And sometimes out of spite. They'll not cancel, and they'll just go outside and smoke cigarettes. 
um, and uh, and not cancel the order until eventually the customer cancels it. Meanwhile, I've already made the food. Oh man! And it's now sitting in a box for for. So this is why the sticker for us is the the path of least resistance. Because at least there's a fighting chance of my food getting there not completely ruined. So so what happens when the order is canceled? Is it as if it never happened or does someone get compensated? Do you still get paid? Or if how I that- call the company, I can sometimes get uh, them to split the cost of the food with me. But I have to call for everyone that gets canceled. Hmm. And then my other favorite one is I have customers that where they, they, they live there. It's a family and they li- have maybe two floors of their house and they both order the same food at the same time. What? Because um, they don't talk to each other. Wow. And then, uh, <laughs> this and is where we are, friends. The kitchen will make both orders and then, uh, and then they'll call and say, I need to cancel one of them. And you'll say, well, they're both already in a thermal box. Um, they're ready to go. And then I get death threats. And I'm not even kidding. Death threats. Death threats. Over I've had four death meat? threats in the last year what? with from from delivery customers. I had a customer who did not order mac and cheese, was not on the order, and uh, they got fries instead because that was they ordered fries and some meat and some more fries, and uh, and they called four times and uh, and and said they were going to come down there and murder me. Oh, why didn't they just come down there to eat in the first place? They would have avoided all of the issues. Oh, man. Uh, So listen, with all of this, though, Jason, is like... I also know that the that the 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 financial underbelly is not necessarily in your favor either, right? No. So the delivery companies take about thirty percent. They take percent. a nice hit. So what is this? Is is your uh, dedication to continuing this about your brand and connecting to your community, or is it like I would be a chump to leave that money on the table because it's, someone's got to take it? It's marketing. Something else I'm curious about, right? And I know you alluded to this earlier with your talk about pausing deliveries when you've got a full dining room of people. Uh, but he like the entire culture. So you mean the people coming in and out, the, like the... The, the the courier drivers, okay. you know, in yeah. and out, and and because and the staff there's distracted. a determined nature to the like get in, get it done, get back out, get back on the road, get it. You know they what do I mean? Zip around. They absolutely do. It's really frightening um, right? on the bicycles. And, and I don't like I've it. even heard that uh, that the folks at the Assembly Chef's Hall have a separate Uber Eats entrance. If this. I was to build my restaurant all over again, yeah. I would have made a lot of changes mm-hmm. in general because this is my first go as a, yeah. as a restaurateur um, and not just a cook in the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely have a separate entrance for for the delivery or, uh, delivery couriers because yeah. it would be less disrupt- disruptive, and I would I'll probably have a, a dedicated takeout desk as well yes, for yes. people with a kiosk where they wouldn't actually have to talk to a human. Mm-hmm. They would come mm-hmm. in, they would punch in their order on an iPad, and uh, and someone would bring it out would and bring it out. Pa- already be paid for. Yep. On the flip side as well, like it, the, you got to protect the the quality of your dining room as much as possible. So we turn off the delivery services when we have a full house. Yeah, especially with barbecue because things run out. Yes. Right? You want to make sure there's, that's the one thing about barbecue. It takes you so long to cook. And then when it's out, it's out. When so you want to make sure gone. there's yeah. enough there's food really for the people for the day. who. Yeah. Unless you have uh, a time machine you can attach to my smoker. <laughs> it's 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 a done deal. People are very upset when we run out of brisket and ribs, but it happens. And like you said, the people who put their pants on. They deserve get, uh, to get the brisket and I ribs. feel like they, they should. Their and I appreciate that you have that little hierarchy. <laughs> There's also about 10 things that uh, we don't offer for delivery or even like call in takeout. And they're like specials that like we put a lot of uh, effort into or things that um, that just aren't really a part of our brand. 
Uh, so here's another question that I have for you. The few times that I have ordered from a delivery service, I have really noted uh, mega excess in packaging. Right. Uh, packaging and is it's crazy. a huge deal. None of it is feels like it's compostable. Right. And even then that we all know that compostable disposables are not the answer. Compostable right? disposables not, aren't the answer. It's a, it's a bit of a joke, really, right? The, it's not a real thing. The city of Toronto sent out a calendar saying don't put your compostables yeah. in the compost bin. So it's not, we, we can't really rely on that. But what, tell me how you guys feel about that. So uh, one thing I've discovered is that people that order delivery don't care about the environment in general. <laughs> oh, dear. I, uh, I put a optional yeah. uh, 25 cent charge to use equal for eco-friendly packaging okay. using Bag S, which is a byproduct of the sugarcane industry. Yes, which I is know it. Yes, totally. Is commercially compostable in the city yep. of Toronto. Goes in your green bin. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive compared to recyclable styrofoam. Yep. Um, and out of 1,500 orders, I had one person. Oh, man. I was already doing. And what's the surcharge? 25 cents. Oh, man. Yet, oh, I love this. You pair that with the article that the CBC put out, uh, say, a couple of months ago, talking about the fact that the average millennial, who is the majority of your consumer, spends $1,000 a month right. on food delivery. Oh, my goodness. Right. It's so just that's a lot of packaging. Up. What is going on here? So uh, what we make? Um, I figured it out actually. We make five thousand times more waste oh. on delivery. Five thousand. It's actually five thousand and between five thousand six hundred times. Yes. Um, and it, just on delivery and everything, we do our best. So we stopped putting. I could not find a, a nice compostable or eco-friendly uh, set of cutlery. So mm-hmm. I just I cut it mm-hmm. off. Um, and I, I stopped using the Bag S product because no one wanted to pay for it, and it's 10 times the price. Um, and uh, and uh, apparently Uber did a study in Denver and discovered that less than 3% of their customers know how to use a green or blue bin. So it's all going in the garbage anyway. <laughs> oh, no. So they're oh, ordering dear. it. They're putting it in the garbage. It never gets sorted. Yeah. It doesn't matter. doesn't oh, matter oh, at all. That, that hurts my heart. Then oh. these are the people that don't go to restaurants. They only order delivery. Yeah. During the same time period, I actually included a coupon for $5 off if you came to the restaurant. Good for you. 1500 Yeah. Coupons? Yeah. One. Oh. One redeemed. Wow. One. So that made it very wow. clear to me that uh, that delivery customers are different than your dining customers. Right. You're not going to convert this a delivery customer to a dining. And that is different business. They are. Right? It, they're not, it's not substitute business. It's different business. And as we uh, figure this out, we're going to see that all of the businesses that are doing delivery are going to have completely different menus mm-hmm. that cost a lot more. Yes. Um, it's gotta, I think, right? Because the impact mm-hmm. is way too substantial. Packaging is expensive and the 30, 20 to 30% cut that the delivery couriers are taking is expensive. So food is just going to get more expensive for those that feel that they're entitled to only order delivery. I came across an article recently that really got me thinking. Okay. And the article was about a new Gordon Ramsay restaurant that's opening called uh, Lucky Cat. Yes. And it was reviewed by a woman named uh, Angela Hui. Mm-hmm. Or Hui. Mm-hmm. Not sure how she pronounces her mm-hmm. name. 
And um, she was not thrilled with the restaurant preview. She had a number of things to say. Uh, The restaurant does say it's inspired by the drinking dens of 1930s Mm -hmm. Tokyo. Mm -hmm. But there were Chinese elements in the menu. Oh, they talk about Tokyo, but then they talk about the lucky cow. And so, you know, the review was, was not great. She had a number of things to say, but the press immediately jumped on it. And wrote articles about her article, and they started saying that she was accusing Gordon Ramsay of cultural appropriation. Right. And uh, I, I feel like the term cultural appropriation is thrown around a little too liberally these mm-hmm. days. I, I will agree. say this. I agree. Uh, I think the restaurant was a marketing mess. I mean, it's called Lucky Cat. It's branded as a brand new, authentic Asian eating house. Uh, and then it talks about the dens of 1930s Tokyo. It just, it sounds like they were trying to put too many catch right. terms. It's a, uh, a pan-Asian experience yeah. here. Uh, right. Or they could have just said that and it mm-hmm. would have been a little bit more straightforward. Yes. Uh, it was also tacky. I came across this item on the menu. Brace yourself. Okay. They made yuzu cello to drink. Oh, it's All right. <laughs> not good. For God's sake. Um, but it really... Got me thinking because, you know, cultural appropriation is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a restaurant, I mean, certainly, you know, a chef from Canada could go and spend a number of years yes. in another yes. country and learn to cook that food. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's okay for them to cook that food. You know, a lot of the the critics, not Andrea, but the later critics were saying, you know, it's not an authentic uh, Asian restaurant because the chef isn't, isn't Asian, you know, a, Asian. Or have Asian heritage, and right. I'm not sure about that, but I was just wondering, you know, where is that line? Because there must be a line somewhere in some case. Mm-hmm. But this was not really appropriate, but I'm, I'm having trouble navigating. Yep. So I was wondering you I know, what your thoughts. Oh, I feel like you might have thoughts. I have a lot to say about this particular <laughs> subject. Uh, and I, to be honest, I actually really appreciate revisiting it because it is uh, really messy and not easy yes. to navigate at all. And I have to really take a step back to um, to think about when when I have huge feelings inside, when I respond really harshly yes. to something, I have to be I have to break it down myself and be like, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and what are we really talking about here? Um, and I thought one of the one of the best sort of light bulb moments for me was, OK, look, previously I was like, if it's not your culture, you don't have access to this thing. Cut and dry. That's just it. Hmm. Uh, but I that is not yeah. universally applicable. No. It doesn't work. And. To a certain degree, that is not the promise of Canada. Right. Right? Right. This should be the place where that is welcome and and free. Right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, this it really hit me when I was at a ramen restaurant here in Toronto. Yes. Right? And they beautifully make wonderful accommodations for the solo diner. So I was happily sitting by myself, slurping up my broth and my noodles, looking around Right. And in that particular place, which is really what we see in a lot of these spots, there's young Japanese dudes in the kitchen uh, and and mostly young Japanese women who are front of house and doing the service. Mm -hmm. Right. You walk in, they yell all those lovely Japanese things at you. You sit down, you eat. um, And it all feels like you're getting you're stepping into some place in Japan. Right. But I thought to myself two important things. One, does Japan have these Packages of young people who are happy to be shipped off 
(laughs) all around the world to create authentic experiences for people. Uh, What are their living conditions? Where, what is all of that? Mm -hmm. What is that? Right. Um, Right. I'm so curious about that. But then I thought to myself, what about a young black chef? who goes to live in Kyoto for how many years and deem himself precisely deem himself a worthy student to some master and learn how to do the broth and the noodles and all of it and then come back home or come to Canada and want to and want to open a restaurant and do this. How would I feel walking in seeing a black man in that lineup? I know it's right. It's an odd thing. And I have to challenge myself because Mm -hmm. I know that I would take a different I would have a different attitude yeah. about where I was and what was going. And and I like I have to own that and I have to I have to figure out how to what that what that means. But it like it made me realize that there's there's something else happening here, right? And that a lot of my response really is connected to power. Yes. Right? That I think that the best way that I've been able to understand this is about power. So um, a little while ago, uh, I did a, there was an, a piece in the Globe and Mail about exactly this, mm-hmm. right? And about um, somebody wanting to open up who was not Jamaican wanting to open up a Jamaican restaurant. Yes. Right. And I was asked for my opinion. And the thing that really resonates with me is is this, right? As a brown person, I don't get to zip out of my brown skin at the end of the day and enjoy all of the same privilege that white people do. Yes. Right. I live in this skin 24 hours a day. Uh, And so that I carry that around with me. And so I think that we just need to have a more universal application of that bit of truth. And if you are somebody who comes from a culture that historically has had dominance or power or even uh, an oppressive presence somewhere, you need to be a little bit more connected to that history, right? I think if we could, because white privilege is built into this entire conversation, right? One of the allowances of white privilege is a distancing from that history, So that's, yeah, that's the thing. And that's the conclusion that I came to. Oh, amazing. Uh, Okay. Unlike you, I don't, I don't hesitate. We have a a gentleman who uh, is in our neighborhood and he is, I believe, Chinese Mm -hmm. and he learned to cook in Italy and he makes Italian food and it's an Italian restaurant. And, uh, you know, we go there regularly in my family. Um, But when I took a step back, it was not so much the cultural appropriation, but the white privilege Mm -hmm. that hit me. Because when I look at celebrity chefs, I think Gordon Ramsay, being white, has the luxury of doing whatever he wants. He can open an Asian yes, restaurant. He can open. And I feel like if he was of a specific culture, there would be an expectation. You know, for example, if he was Chinese, people would expect him to open a Chinese restaurant or an Asian fusion restaurant. Yes, yes definitely. And uh, there would be less of an opportunity for him to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to make go to Peru. Mm-hmm. And learn to cook that food and yes. make a Peruvian restaurant. People will see a disjoint, which is not yes. right. But it's that but it's we that, understand how the minds work. Here. I think that's yeah. what the, the it's more about white privilege than it is mm-hmm. about and, cultural and there's appropriation. The, the accompanying entitlement. Yes, right, because it just treats it all like a like a buffet of yeah. flavor. And once you have mastered the gastropub, yeah, then what's next? For sure, right? and also move along. What's next? 
The other problematic piece is the use of the word authentic. Oh, yes. Which, again, marketing nightmare, I think, um, was more the, the case there. I don't yep. think Gordon Ramsay picked that term. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're going to say authentic, it has to be authentic. It can't be, you know, this is authentic 1930s Tokyo, but there's some chi- a Chinese element. And there is, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, have, I wasn't in is, 1930s um, Tokyo. Fair enough. Uh, but I'm guessing they didn't have yuzu cello. Right. And and listen, it all boils down to the fact that much more thoughtfulness is required uh, before things like this happen. Right. We have we have to think about who we are, what what history we bring to the situation and where power and privilege are in this situation. It's not as easy and tidy as people think that it is. It's much, much more complicated. Okay. So Josh and I see you've brought an edible I conversation. Have. <laughs> I have. I have. Sometimes best illustrated by a little mouthful of food. Or three. Indeed. Uh, I would like to talk about bringing back the Mignardis. What's that? So a Mignardis is a, a very small sweet mouthful yes. that is classically served at the end of a meal, right? Sometimes with coffee, other times with the bill. Yes. Uh, so right? I'm seeing chocolate squares here, yep. a chocolate filled raspberry mm-hmm. of some sort. And what are these? This is a little coconut macaroon um, that uh, that is filled with grapefruit curd. Okay. Right. So look, the history of this from a, it's obviously this is a French word. Yes. And so it comes from the French tradition. Um, and it was about uh, something to literally leave you with a sweet taste in your mouth at the end of the meal. Hmm. Right. While potentially while you're walking out. Right. Uh, but it also is one more opportunity for the chef to remind you of their skill. Okay. And craft, which is very interesting. Because I was going right? to say this this has been replaced by little pieces of candy. Yes, or lollipops which, which still in the leaves, Jack Astors of it all, right? It leaves a sweet taste in your mouth, yeah, but does but not, not show the, you the chef's there's no, yeah, skill. No. Uh, but I think this the idea of a little sweet something that comes with the bill has all but disappeared from our modern culture. Yeah, I think so. Right? Uh, I don't see it anywhere. The one place I know in the city that does it are my favorites at Richmond Station, mm-hmm. who they have made a vegan gluten-free fudge that goes, the little dish shows up with the bill. Um, and I think it is crucially important. I think that when you are paying your bill or handing over your credit card, you should have a taste in your mouth that reminds you of why you are so happy to spend that money. Hmm. Right. It is to revisit all of the delicious things and the courses that have passed uh, so that there's it doesn't hurt and it doesn't pinch when it comes to bill time. You're like, no, wait, this delicious thing is in my mouth. Uh, take my I'm very happy to have spent this money. You, <laughs> you wooed me and tickled me quite sufficiently uh, and I'm happy with it. Plus from back, I'm taking it back to hospitality, which is where I always go. I like the idea of someone leaving my table with a nice taste in their mouth. I have a counter for two reasons. Okay. Firstly, uh, I prefer to leave with the food of uh, the taste of the main dish 
in my mouth. Okay. I never order dessert. You never order no. dessert. If ever I eat, like if it's someone's birthday and mm-hmm. there's a piece of cake, when I get home, I have to eat a vegetable or something to rebalance myself. Really? Yeah. So dessert is something for me. Okay. Dessert is something that is had so this, apart this from meals sweet with coffee. Flavor, right? Is not a thing. So for you. Okay. that's argument number one. And the second piece is that for me, once I've done my food. And I'm done. I'm. I. It just would bring too much angst for someone to bring another piece of food in front of me because huh. I'm full. I'm done. And now it's oh, do I eat this because and, you know I don't want to waste myself it. Over the edge. Right. But I'm going to put myself over the edge. Like I've thought about it. That being said, I think I have a solution, which is of course the amuse, the amuse bouche, mm-hmm. the opposite. Right. Right. Which uh, is also quite rare. It is quite rare. But it's the little bite that comes at the beginning mm-hmm. of the meal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really enjoy. Again, it shows it's the same spirit, it's right? It's the same spirit. It's just the opening and closing versions of the same. Uh, I don't know. I guess we could do both. I'm, ideally, there's both. Ideally, there's both. But I like it's an important comparison to know that the amuse-bouche can serve a very similar function, mm-hmm. um, just potentially not tied to the paying of the bill. So you prefer the tail end? I like it. I like it. I, I will do both, but the, the missing the tail end for me feels like a bigger deal than missing the beginning. So it's time for Curious Kitchen. So nice. And Joshna, yes. I always like it when there's glasses. You do. I really do. I so like do I. The, beer, the boozy things that you bring. <laughs> so you may remember in episode six, we talked about uh, the vodka that was made from milk permeate. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the fine uh, folk at Dairy Distillery have sent us a bottle. Oh, thanks a lot, Dairy Distillery. And I must admit, I'm super intrigued by vodka. Well, and from... then, like the the bottle even has this milk bottle vibe too, with this big, big open mouth. It's cute, isn't oh, it's it? It's really cute. Now, unlike you, I'm not a vodka drinker. Okay. So I don't have a baseline. So I decided to bring in just a, like a name brand vodka for comparison. Uh, the brand will remain unnamed, but just uh, just that we have a baseline. Mm-hmm. So here you go, Madame. So nice. It is a lovely bottle, isn't it? It's really, really lovely. And I like the little vodka. Thanks, friends. <laughs> so Made sweet. in Canada. So we're going to taste the classic. I think so. First. I think so. Cheers. Smells like vodka. Smell, yeah. Uh, it, to me, it feels like vodka. Whoa. Very clean. Yeah. Not much going on, which Not is much. what vodka is supposed to be. That just boozy. Right just on the booze. on the swallow, there's just boozy. Great. Uh, not not too much of a burn, though. Mm-mm. All right. Let's see the... Uh, oh, immediately the Ooh, nose is I can different. Even, yes. There's almost a sweetness there. There is absolutely. I can catch that for sure. It's a softer nose. Definitely it's softer. It's not just alcohol. Not just booze burning up your nose hair. Exactly. I'm going to hazard the word elegant. Oh. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Still tastes like vodka to me. Mm-hmm. It's rounder. It's rounder. It's it's softer on your mouth, yes. if that's a thing, right? It's it's more pleasing to have on your tongue. Mm-hmm. And there is a little richness on the finish. It's nice. Right? There's a little kind of creamy richness on that finish, which is quite enjoyable. It's it is oddly similar to after eating ice cream. It just that mm-hmm. 
little bit of a residual it's well listen as somebody who has experimented with not drinking dairy Mm -hmm. there is something that milk fat does when it coats your tongue Mm -hmm. that is so distinct and that is what's happening here it's really nice Mm -hmm. but still definitely Uh, vodka definitely vodka and i'm curious about what it's like to mix it with stuff what's it like when soda and lemon and things like that get involved um or a martini a vodka teeny or a cowsmopolitan. Oh, <laughs> now you've done it. Uh, but I like it. Thank you, Dairy Distillery. Uh, that is delicious. It's Ooh. distinct. Yeah. I think I would just drink it on its own. I think so, too. Yeah. A little bit of ice. Well, and it's like, it's it's this, it's a more uh, fulsome experience uh, that that you have, like when you are drinking whiskey or bourbon or things like that, right? Drinking straight vodka is a bit of a... I mean, intentional, just straight shot to the top, really. <laughs> there's, there's no other reason, right? You're just, you have one goal and one goal only. Um, but this is, a, is an appropriate sipping vodka. I agree. Uh, I wonder if this might be like a most perfect thing for something like a white Russian. <laughs> going, right? going back We're to the mothership. Le- leaning into the dairy here, right? <laughs> for uh, sure. With a drink that has, cre- uh, it's cream, right? Ideally, it's cream that's in that white Russian. I wonder if this would get lost there or would augment it. Well, I think there's right. many more things for us to try. Oh, I love it. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.